Welcome back to the past. This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello. Hey, guys. Uh, Today, we turn the volume knob all the way up to episode 11. Yeah. Goes to 11. All right. Yeah. If you missed last week's episode, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> losing my mojo over here. If you uh, if you missed last week's episode, we discuss Super Smash Brothers, Yak Back, which is your little brother in electronic form, and our very special guest Neva led a discussion on Harry Potter. And Adam, we, we missed you dearly, bud. Aww, we really missed you. Thanks, guys. I missed you too, and I missed all of y'all out in the interwebs world. On this week's episode, Adam makes his triumphant return to discuss Dolly the Llama. I mean, sheep. I will be talking about my favorite B-movie icon, Bruce Campbell, a topic submitted by Mike S. of sunny California. And Brian will, in essence, just be weird about Al Yankovic, a topic submitted by Greg D. of Reedsburg, Wisconsin. Well, thank you very much, Mike S. and Greg D. We hope to do your topics some wonderful justice. And if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics, folks, you can always visit our website at www.datingourselvespodcast.com, and you can click on the Contact Us tab. Or you could be really adventurous and try the Submit a Topic tab, too. <laughs> well, Adam. I don't know why we don't ever suggest that. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it says what it does. <laughs> Well, Adam, uh, talk to us about Lamb Chop. I mean, Dolly the Sheep. Could you imagine if there were two Lamb Chops? (laughs) It would be the song that doesn't end in a round. (laughs) Stereo. So I'm going to start out this week's discussion with a story. So one time I was caddying for the Dalai Lama. And wait, did you guys say Dolly the Lama or Dolly the Sheep? Both. Yeah, both. Yeah, but mostly Dolly. Oh, okay. All right. Scratch that story. That's for another time. Then. Does it end with enlightenment? Absolutely. Ah, get it? Absolute <laughs> enlightenment. Ah. <laughs> we got the jokes here, folks. So anyway, my real topic for today is Dolly the Sheep. So you might all remember this if you were old enough to be... Like the, the yeah, in like, in like the late <laughs> 90s, if you're old enough to really be paying attention to what was going on in the world at the time. Dolly the Sheep, she was the first cloned animal ever made from an adult cell using nuclear transfer. So it was the first time that any animal had ever been, uh, at least on a known scale, had been completely cloned. And really, this was kind of a big thing because back in the 90s, genetics and kind of that field of study were really big in society at the time. Like, I'm sure you guys remember the the Human Genome Project was really big at the time where they were I was going... just going to ask, is that when that started too, right around uh, the same it, time? It, the Human Genome started uh, Project started in the 80s. But during the 90s and right around the time that she was born was when it was becoming a really big topic in society. So like the Human Genome Project, mm-hmm. which was mapping the uh, D- mapping DNA and mapping the human genome, um, obviously Dolly the Sheep. And then even in like pop culture, I don't know if you guys remember, because both, both of these guys took, uh, my dad was a teacher as well, and both of these guys took my dad's class. 
Um, and he sh- used to show a movie. Do you guys remember ever watching Gattaca? Yes. So Gattaca kind of went hand in hand. I remember, I remember playing Galaga. Was that the <laughs> no, same? No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> remember they had in the back of the bowling alley and it had the rolling yeah, ball? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about. Okay. That had a lot to do with the human okay. genome. <laughs> okay. But uh, that movie was about kind of the concept of like making designer children by changing their DNA prior to their birth to be able to take out like defects and make, you know, give them a specific mm. hair color or a specific like IQ or something like that. So just during this time, this all was like really big in society, this idea of genetics and the study of it and kind of figuring out what we could do with it. And so Dolly was kind of a big breakthrough because she was the first mammal that has ever had ever been cloned at that point. And it was done at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland at a institute called the Roslin Institute. And uh, she was Hmm. born on July 5th of 1996. I don't think it was until maybe like 97 that she was revealed to the world that she had been born. So they kind of came out with this article or this, you know, research paper saying that they had done it. And of course, it took off big time because of just the implication of, hey, we managed to make an animal that was a mammal that we were able to completely clone and, and reproduce right and so right. do you think they chose a lamb or a sheep in scotland because if it failed no one was going to notice i mean there's a, there's a, a lot of sheep <laughs> I, in, I was in the thinking highlands the same you know thing, like, <laughs> do we really need another sheep in scotland <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i don't know uh, that's that's probably a pretty good reason for that <laughs> so I we don't, don't want to like was... you know endanger like the lab rats, you know, as they are a pretty low population in Scotland, but we'll take the sheep out. <laughs> oh gosh. And so, yeah, so she was, she was cloned and unveiled in the nineties. And here's the crazy part. She was named after Dolly Parton. Apparently she, uh, big, big, she, big name in Scotland as well. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very famous the, Scottish uh, singer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. C- country Western music, huge in Scotland. <laughs> huge tracks of land. There you go. <laughs> yes. Oh, that, that's exactly. the connection. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Dolly, you know, really outside of being introduced and being in the limelight for a little while, really didn't have much else after that she kind of like was out of the spotlight again after a while she did actually give birth to several babies or, or several uh, what would you call kids i think they are or is that goats i don't know. Might be goats that's goats i forget so anyway uh she she gave birth on several occasions and really was pretty pretty healthy until she got a little older and when i say older Normally, a sheep can live to about, uh, you know, past 10 years, we'll say, like 11, 12 years, something like that. Um, She ended up dying at about six and a half years old. But what they found, and and I I don't know all the implications of this or if this had the, you know, had any implications of it, but uh, when they used adult DNA to clone her, that meant that the adult telomeres were the ones that were being cloned and that's the one uh, like those are the things in the dna that kind of break down as you get older it it, um 
usually makes it harder to protect the DNA at that point, and that's when you can get a lot of illnesses and stuff like that. And so she ended up getting arthritis and lung cancer, uh, a specific type of lung cancer that was going around in the sheep at the time because it was created by a, or caused by a virus. Hmm. And so she passed away in February of 2003. So she was about six and a half years old when she died. And they taxidermied her and she is on permanent display at the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. Really thought you were going to say the National Museum of Haggis. <laughs> oh god <laughs> that, would, that would be so bad if they did that are they going to do the same thing with Sean Connery <laughs> oh, make god. him into haggis I hope not <laughs> <laughs> I was I was thinking more of like was it Lenin or Stalin one of those two was put on display at state or whatever for like several years they just had his like a casket with they call it a glass onion it's the like glass on the top of the casket, so the, like you can see the body and stuff. Hmm. And they they That's just weird. had him on, yeah. So you could go and like check him out and be like, "Hey, what's up, dude?" I'm kind of ashamed to know this, but Lennon's body is still on display for private tour, and they actually like take him out, clean him up, and put him back to keep him. Preserved. I mean, that's for all the Beatles reunion tours, right? Oh, different Lennon, different Lennon. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Oh gosh. The walrus. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, really, that's kind of all the big stuff about Dolly. You know, she, like I said, other than just the few minutes of fame that she got from uh, living, you know, from being the first clone sheep, she really just kind of after a while just went back to being any old sheep. But she ended up passing away and has since been put on display for everyone to see at the National Museum of Scotland. So if you ever go to Scotland, you can go see. I think that's actually, that might be the same museum that they have the Bogmen at. So you can go see the Bogmen and Dolly the Sheep. Interesting. That's too much death for me. I mean, it is a museum. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. I mean, they got got Barney's bones in there too, you know. Uh, (laughs) Barney Rubble? Well, he probably is too, isn't he? Probably is too. (laughs) I didn't know he died. Yeah. Oh, it just ruined my night. <laughs> yeah, it was a tragic pterodactyl shovel accident. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> hey, it's so- a living. <laughs> I will say at the time of Dolly the Sheep, I remember it being like a huge deal and like the topic of like every science class for like weeks and weeks. And then it quickly faded into obscurity. But I remember like all this like social panic at the time. And I was really young. I think we were like probably 12, maybe 13 at the oldest. And I remember there was like this huge social panic of like, if we can clone things now, what would happen to like, what would prevent us from like cloning humans and using them for spare parts or Mm -hmm. things of that nature and just this big like you know, like social outcry. And I believe it, that was the basis for like UN, uh, I think the World Health Organization putting a ban on human cloning and yeah. things of that nature. Do you guys kind of remember that or am I oh, alone in no, this? Oh, no, absolutely. That sounds, that sounds right. Um, I think it was also the premise for the uh, movie Clone Wars too, right? <laughs> yes. Or is that different? <laughs> yes, <laughs> okay, that was absolutely. Different. Um, I don't acknowledge that half of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and by that half, you mean episodes one through three? <laughs> yes. the clo- yeah, the Clone Wars were a long time ago, and we don't talk about In them. a galaxy quite far away. <laughs> yes. Uh, Fair but enough. yeah, Fair I enough. mean, I, I definitely do remember that, Paul, because... Um, 
you know, on top of that, that's kind of what that whole movie Gattaca was about and kind of the the implication of that movie was if we can do these things, what's to stop us from being able to take out like diseases or mental disabilities or things like that uh, because we see them as diseases and stuff like that. So like there, there definitely was that kind of, kind of reticence about all of it that like you know what is this going to lead to in the future are we going to be able to like you said clone people for spare parts or um, like there's a there's actually a great book that i read before called my sister's keeper by jody Picot. uh we had to read that for one of my college classes and that was kind of the concept of the book was uh specifically like having a child and, and making it specifically to uh be like a parts factory basically for her sister uh, mm. in the book. If you ever get a chance to read it, great book. But um, yeah, so there, there definitely was that kind of whole hang up on all of this because, you know, it was uncharted territory. I mean, we were literally just learning about the human genome. And then all of a sudden we get this information about, Hey, we just managed to clone an entire mammal. If I remember correctly, she made the cover of Scholastic Magazine, which was that booklet you would get, or we yep. would, it was it was similar to the booklet that you would order like the school books from the book fair from, yep. but they would do like a a science issue every month that was kind of like the uh, you know the free National Geographic or popular science so to speak, but it was aimed for like fourth and fifth graders. Yep. And I remember her being on the cover and at the time going, "Holy crap! I can't believe this is real." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It definitely was eye-opening at the time, and since then you haven't really heard about it as much. I think it's been a little bit become a little bit more commonplace. But you know, and then and then that gets into the whole thing. Uh, people have wanted to be able to pay like money to be able to clone, like say their uh, family pet that passed away, and then you know there's that whole debate about well, if you just because you clone the the animal doesn't make it the same animal because it, you know, it doesn't have the same experiences right. and all that. So it gets into a whole like level of philosophy that we probably uh, the will nature not versus nurture debate. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so now we are going to transfer uh, transition over to our whole thing on philosophy and uh, <laughs> rearing and all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> if by philosophy you mean a guy who's got a shotgun for an arm absolutely uh, <laughs> no he has a chainsaw for a hand oh he you're right you're right shotgun. yeah you're right shotguns in his free hand you're right you're right yep <laughs> so yeah let's go ahead and jump over to paul then who's going to talk to us about bruce campbell who is also one of my favorite people to be cloned, which was something that happened in one of his movies. <laughs> so Bruce Campbell is a topic submitted to us by Mike S. from Northern California. Thanks, Mike. And um, Bruce Campbell is probably my favorite movie actor of all time. Wow. Uh, yeah, it, I, I can't come up with someone that comes close for the number of movies and content that he has produced that I have enjoyed. Fair enough, fair and enough. When I explain some of the impact he's had, uh, maybe you'll start to, I don't think you'll feel the same way, but I think you'll start to understand why. So Bruce Campbell was born in Royal Oak, Michigan. Yeah! Which is, you know, 
a place not far from us and near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Uh, he is best known for portraying Ash Williams or Ashley Williams in Sam Raimi's Evil Dead franchise. So in 1978, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Robert Tapper basically dropped out of Western Michigan University to film a short film with their student loans called Within the Woods. And this movie was the first uh, appearance of Ash Williams, and he is a he is a character that fights deadites. So he's kind of he starts out <laughs> as like a really naive college kid and translates into later to be just a, an overall slob that somehow always ends up having to fight evil and be the hero when he is the least heroic person in the room. Um, but this movie uh, led them to getting. Uh, This movie allowed them to secure funding to create Renaissance Pictures. And so they are the three founders of Renaissance Pictures, which went on to produce a bunch of movies and TV shows. Most famous, or I shouldn't say most famous, but the start of it was all in 1981 when they made a movie called The Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I'm sure that, I know, I'm pretty sure I've watched that movie with you guys. If you've been to my house, you've seen the giant Evil Dead poster next to the Bruce Campbell statue with the cowboy hat from Briscoe County Jr. Yes, yes, it's a a Shrine Day Campbell for sure. I'm pretty sure the first time I ever saw Evil Dead was at your house, Paul. I think it was actually at your parents' house down in the basement. That's how most people I know saw it. (laughs) That's fair, that's fair. (laughs) Because that back then you had to go to the video store across town. Oh, yep. gosh. Yep. Drive to the Blockbuster and get your VHS. So Renaissance Pictures is known for Evil Dead, Army, uh, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness. But they also did other big pictures such as Dark Man, Hard Target, Time Cop. Oh, and nice. then... Uh, Robert Tapper took on a role producing television series, and he came up with a great idea of selling shows into syndication. So rather than make a pilot, sell the pilot to a network, and then have the network control the pilot, they Mm -hmm. made the TV series they wanted to make, and then they produced enough episodes to sell them to multiple networks. And some of the shows they did this with were Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, amazing Xena, Warrior Princess, Mantis, Jack of All Trades, and Briscoe County Jr. That, that's, nice. so, that's quite a list right there. Yeah. That list is my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce Campbell is also known for uh, being a very successful writer as well as movie and television actor. He's done uh, four books at this point, my favorite being If Chins Could Kill, which is his <laughs> autobiography. Uh, he has a very trademark scar on uh, the right side of his chin in an L shape. And they in the movies, they always do it up with makeup really bad to look if he's been cut. And the, But it's actually a it's an actual scar that they just embellish. So kind of like with Harrison Ford, how they would always play his little scar on his chin would always make it like they would always kind of explain why that was there at some point. Yes. Cool. So I have to ask you guys, uh, what's your? I'm just going to break out into what's your favorite Bruce Campbell movie? Oh man, I I think I mean I, probably kind of cliche, but I, I think that Evil Dead is definitely I mean my first introduction to him. As I've gotten older, I've 
seen other things here and there. Uh, my dad is actually really, really, really into burn notice. Um, completely <laughs> inconsequential that the fact that Bruce Campbell's in it, but I recognized him like instantly, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I guess it is that guy." Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, he was doing a press interview for Burn Notice, and he'd been an actor and producer for like thirty, almost forty years at that point. And he was doing a TV Guide interview, and he goes, "I was in the grocery store, and some kid goes, it's the guy from Burn Notice.'" And he goes, "And then I knew I finally made it as an actor." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! But yeah, I mean that whole Evil Dead, Army of Darkness. I mean that whole trilogy is. Uh, very, very much iconic, very much has a dedicated cult following. I would say even the first movie has a, not even a cult following, like it's a legitimate, you know, it's, it's not like Swamp Thing or something like that, you know, it's a, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of really great one-liners in those movies. I think that's what really, uh, it's very 80s, but that that is something that always makes it super exciting, you know, the different, uh, the different little hail to the quips. king baby. that's right that's right <laughs> swallow this <laughs> so most a lot of the one-liners from evil dead 2 and army of darkness do you remember the game uh, duke nukem 3d or duke nukem 64 oh, i of do mm-hmm. a lot of those one-liners actually made it into the video game and they've given credit that that's where a lot of them came from oh that's hail awesome. to the king baby um i'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum although <laughs> that i mean i think uh what was the ride Piper movie. Um, oh, I wanted gosh. to say them. They live. Yep. I think that was really more the or No, which came first? <laughs> they, Chicken or the egg? Yeah, they live was definitely an eighties movie. I don't know what year it came out. I'm looking. I'm looking. It looks like yeah, <laughs> but, um, eighty-eight. So, uh, so it definitely came after the fact. This was this for me was my first introduction to cult movies, and it's something I've followed forever. And um, Army of Darkness especially because it's it has everything you need to be a really good scary movie but then they're just so over the top and campy with it that mm-hmm. it's just hilarious the jokes the one liners um you know Ash has a chain you know he has a chainsaw for a hand he sports a uh, S-Mart shotgun that was made in Grand Rapids Michigan yeah yep, yep. There's a whole uh, whole speech in the middle of the movie where you know it's a hair nut or hair uh, hair trigger walnut stock retails for uh, $79.99 and is av- uh, available in the sporting goods department. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's now a, I do that's remember cool. somewhat recently, um, and once again my my memory is getting pretty bad, so it might have been almost ten years ago at this point, but I'd say it probably was in the last five or six years. I was actually uh, visiting Adam when he was at his parents' house, and mm-hmm. we watched I Am Bruce, I think is the name of the movie. My name is Bruce. My name is Bruce. That's yes. it. My name is Bruce. And that movie is the most meta of all meta things I have ever seen. Yeah. Um, please feel free to jump in and you know embellish whatever I'm saying, because it's been a while since I've seen it. But as Paul mentioned, Bruce Campbell's known very well for being in these kind of low budget monster B movies and he's always kind of the bumbling idiot who just ends up happening to be the hero and in the movie he basically plays himself and he thinks he's on set for a movie but he's actually in a real life monster story kind of what what it is is he plays a like cliched version of himself where he's kind of like a washed up actor at this point and 
like an alcoholic and stuff like that. And he lives in a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> the patron saint, uh, the Chinese patron saint of bean curds starts <laughs> starts terrorizing a small town. And the like all of these people have seen the evil dead and think that Bruce Campbell is actually Ash Williams. And so they hunt him down to come and be the savior of their town to fight the uh, I think I think it was uh, the uh, Chinese god's name was Wan Di or something yes. like that, and uh, that he was supposed to go and eradicate this uh, Chinese god from the town. <laughs> it kind of reminds me, and I know this is a topic in the Hopper as well, but it kind of reminds me of Galaxy Quest with Tim Allen. Yeah, where yes. it's like, oh yeah, you're a hero and you're gonna save. It's like, no man, I just play that on TV. Um, but the, I stayed at a Holiday and Express last night. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, the crazy thing about the uh, My Name is Bruce is that it's well into the movie before he realizes that it's not a movie anymore mm-hmm. um, and that he's actually there to, to save the day. Uh, <laughs> there's, you know, great decapitations and mayhem that ensues. There's, there's a great thing that runs throughout the entire movie and it's Ted Raimi's the actor, but basically they have uh, painted the population painted on the uh, town sign when you approach the town. And every time someone gets killed, he goes out and he scratches it off and he lowers the count. And then halfway <laughs> through the movie, he just gets these little flip cards with a nail and then just switches the numbers. <laughs> Isn't that, um, the wasn't that Sam Raimi's brother that did that? Yes, it is Sam Raimi's little brother who has been in a lot of the movies. He was, uh, oh, what was uh, Professor Noby's wife, the woman in the cellar in Evil Dead Two? The original will swallow your soul. Oh God, I don't remember. Uh, Ted Raimi actually played her with a whole bunch of prosthetic. <laughs> no kidding, that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> Most of, if if the if the if the monster got blown up, smashed, or otherwise thrown around, it was Ted Raimi in a suit. <laughs> that's awesome. They just the loved best to job beat him in the up. world, right there. Yeah, <laughs> but. My favorite part in My Name is Bruce is so uh, it's one of the kids of the town that's being overrun by this demon that goes to kidnap and originally goes to talk to him, discovers him drunk and passed out and throws him in the trunk of a 78 Oldsmobile, which is (laughs) iconic because in every Sam Raimi movie somewhere there is a 78 Oldsmobile. (laughs) And... um, it was even even in the quick and the dead. If you know where to look, there's a '78 Oldsmobile concealed in the background of the shot. <laughs> quick and the, the dead was the western with Leonardo DiCaprio and Sharon Stone. Yeah, um, but uh, in the Evil Dead movies, Ash Williams drives a '78 Oldsmobile, which was actually his car when they were in college. They drove everywhere, and they just kept it in the movies and kept beating the crap out of it. In <laughs> Army of Darkness, when they go back in time, they make it a chariot. uh, (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) so they throw him in the trunk of the car and this kid is a huge bruce campbell fan and much like me he has the vhs tapes the laser discs the uh the extras that go with it and uh so bruce campbell is in the trunk of the car and he wakes up and he's not concerned that he's in the trunk of a car and he starts trying to drink his gin bottle that is still in his hand and he looks down (laughs) and he sees an evil dead cassette tape and he goes oh god it finally happened one of the fans found me (laughs) 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 which kind of plays into the whole 
you know, meta of it, of being like the, ori- I shouldn't say the original cult movie, but of our generation, it was one of the bigger ones. And for a oh, lot yeah. of us, it led us to cult film. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely up there with like Donnie Darko and and uh, uh, Edward Scissorhands and stuff like that as being very, very much uh, formative for, for many people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what about you, Paul? What would be your favorite? I have to go with Army of Darkness. There are so many that I love. Um, but I always come back to army of darkness and going back to the clone conversation, there was a great scene where he gets possessed and splits in two and he fights himself and the evil Ash ends up becoming the main bad guy of the movie. And, uh, there's a lot of great force perspective scenes where he's essentially like punching himself in a mirror and then they reverse the shot and show him taking the punch. And it's, you know, at the time that it was made, I shouldn't say that was cutting edge stuff, but for a lower budget movie, it was really impressive. Sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, cause they did all this with, you know, film and it wasn't CGI. It was practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, but, um, well, I, I mean, Sam obviously always had a gift for that. Like he, he's made some amazing movies over the years. So it, it makes sense that he, you know, was showing that stuff off early. He was my uh, favorite director up until Spider-Man three. <laughs> we don't mention that movie <sighs> emo peter parker it was yeah it was the so, worst of times it was the worst of times so where the idea for my name is bruce actually came from is bruce campbell really likes his privacy in his personal life so he moved to the middle of nowhere in uh, rural oregon mm-hmm. and uh when he moved to town uh, even though you know there were miles separating him from his neighbors mm-hmm. uh one of his neighbors who really didn't know him from his work rode up on a horse one day when he was unloading groceries and said hey they said you used to play a cowboy on tv and he said yeah that's right and um uh referring to briscoe county jr which was one of his early television roles yeah uh he said uh he said yeah that's true he goes well tomorrow we're gonna head about 200 uh, head of cattle uh, a few miles down the road and uh, we could really use your help and he goes you know i only played a cowboy on tv and the guy says yeah what's your point and then bruce goes you, you got a horse? And he goes, yeah. And so the next day he got up at the crack of dawn and they <laughs> headed cattle down the road to be uh, to be branded. <laughs> That's, That's unbelievable. I, I've never heard that story. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, I love it. So the franchise of Evil Dead has continued. Uh, if you guys are unaware, it, Bruce Campbell has resumed the character of Ash in a uh, weekly TV series on the Stars Network, which is way above and beyond in production value of any of the movies and uh, if you haven't had a chance to see it it's glorious to see uh, ash in his older years still being the bumbling idiot um, <laughs> fighting evil <laughs> they, they did also remake uh or make a movie remake of the evil dead a few years ago I, I never saw it did you did either of you ever see it I did not. I know that when I was at Michigan State, they did um, Evil Dead the musical. That yes. was that was very interesting to see. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, Evil Dead the musical started in Toronto, I believe. It was an off-Broadway sh- or you know, just a typical off-Broadway show. And uh, when it finally opened up and went on tour, I remember seeing it at uh, Michigan State. But the best production I've ever seen of it, it runs weekly at the Planet View Theater in Vegas. And if you ever get a chance, oh. it is an amazing show. And they actually do like audience participation and they spill blood into the audience. So don't <laughs> sit in the front row. Uh, the night I saw it, there was a couple that had just gotten married and uh, the they came to see the show and she was wearing her wedding dress and they warned her multiple times not to sit in the front row but they got a table right up front and like first act they just dumped a pitcher of blood right on her oh Oh, god it's like carrie man (laughs) (laughs) well i was gonna say uh it sounds like the evil dead is like the gallagher of horror musical More like the guar. Uh. Oh God! <laughs> it has a, it has a decent you know it has a campy fitting soundtrack that you would expect for an Evil Dead musical. The music definitely fits. The music would be more at home in like a producer style stage show. Mm-hmm. Oh okay. And it's definitely worth a look if you uh, if you're creative at YouTubing. There are some dress rehearsals that have made their way onto the internet. But if you're ever in Vegas, I suggest you, I definitely suggest you check it out. It's worth a look. So I never pegged you down, Adam. What's your favorite Bruce Campbell movie? Did you say? Uh, no, I didn't. But uh, my my favorite is probably My Name Is Bruce or Bubba Hotep. Forgot about I I shouldn't say I forgot about Bubba Hotep, but I can't believe I skipped over that. Yeah, we definitely want to tell- mention it. <laughs> you you would probably be better to to describe the plot of it because it's been a while since I've seen it. I remember loving it when I saw it. It's just been a few years since I've actually seen it, so I'm a little hazy so, on the details. Bubba Hotep was an independent film that didn't get wide distribution, and it became much popular later. Um, not unlike most of other Bruce Campbell movies, but, um, the premise of the movie is Bruce Campbell portrays an older aging Elvis in a nursing home. And, uh, the storyline is Elvis faked his own death and then took on a job as an Elvis impersonator so he could leave the limelight and everything behind and just kind of do his own thing. Quite meta again. (laughs) And uh, he is now at the stage of life where he requires to be, uh, you know, requires assistance. So he's in a nursing home. And at this nursing home, a mummy is preying on the souls of the elderly because no one cares when they're missing, so to speak. And uh, they, he realizes that something is afoot and he is aided by a, j- a black gentleman who believes he is JFK. <laughs> Rather than JFK being murdered, he was died black and then stuck in a mental institution so that they could get him out of the picture. So JFK <laughs> and Elvis take on a 2000 year old mummy that they, uh, they affectionately refer to as Bubba Hotep. <laughs> um, um, there's a lot of awesome monologues and one liners as you would expect from a Bruce Campbell movie. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. I believe it's still on Netflix. I think you're right. Definitely going to have to check that out. I don't know if I've ever actually seen that before, so I'm definitely going to have to see that. Fair enough. 
Well, I think that pretty much uh, wraps up what I had, unless you guys have any uh, last-minute things I'm overstepping. No, I think we hit on all the all the important stuff. All right. I guess that brings us to Brian, and he's going to get weird about Al Yankovic. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, so yeah, so my, uh, my topic, as Paul mentioned, is Weird Al Yankovic. He is somebody kind of like Bruce Campbell that's near and dear to all of us and was very much... Uh, instrumental in our youth not nearly as much as you know someone super iconic like dolly the sheep but you know we uh yes <laughs> i i don't know about you guys but i have posters of dolly the sheep on my wall <laughs> <laughs> so, dolly parton or dolly the sheep do, do, oh it was dolly the llama again i keep getting them mixed up <laughs> <laughs> you you have a very strange bedroom i'm sure um <laughs> so Alfred Yankovic was born October 23, 1959, in Downey, California, which is in Los Angeles County, and he uh, grew up, and I think he still lives in Linwood, California, so you know, that's that's kind of part of his identity, you know, he even has an album, fairly recent album within the last 10 years called Straight Out of Linwood. He's known for being a singer, a keyboard player, piano player. Uh, he dabbles with the Thurman, and he also never goes too far without his accordion. He has four Grammys, and his most recent album, Mandatory Fun, was his first number one album of all, like, like really? at the time. Uh, yeah, it was the first time his albums ever hit number one. He had a couple other singles that made into the top 40, but that was the first time that one of his albums was number one in the world. So he obviously is most famous for parodies to the point where if anyone ever makes a parody of a famous song, and for those of you who don't know what parody is, it's essentially taking the melody and chords and things like that of, a, of an existing song and changing the words to usually make it kind of silly. A lot of times songs that are done that way are just attributed to him because he's been known for decades now, uh, since, since the mid-70s for doing this. Mm-hmm. I remember in the early days of Napster, when you would go to find a parody of a song, it would always be attributed to Weird Al. Yep. And it was always some like crappy person recording it in their bathroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, by Weird Al. It, yeah, it was like Stephen Lynch songs or... I, I can't remember who the name of the group, but there was a song I remember seeing it was called The Only Gay Eskimo, and they always attributed to, uh, that to Weird Al, even though it was four or five guys singing it. Yeah, and definitely not a topic that uh, that Weird Al would most likely cover. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably not. I know there's a lot of songs, too, that had a lot of like, swear words and stuff like that, but they were funny, so it's like, oh, that's Weird Al, too. It's like, no, he never really swore in his music, either. Right. So, um, but... The point still exists that he's basically seen as the parody guy. We'll kind of get into some of his most famous parodies and things like that in a little bit. Um, But a little brief history about uh, Al. He, uh, like I said, he grew up in Southern California. And just before his sixth birthday, apparently a door-to-door salesman came to his parents' home. And he had a guitar and an accordion. And his parents decided... Well, let, let's buy an accordion. Um, after all, the world could use one more accordion playing Yankovic uh, because <laughs> there was a famous Frankie Yankovic who's a, uh, at the time, was a somewhat well-known uh, accordion player. Um, Any relation to him? 
I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think it, Yankovic is a fairly common Eastern European last name. Oh, okay. um, it's just not very common uh, in the States. It's like but... the Smith of, of Eastern European <laughs> names. There you go. There you go. He's been in a band with three other guys and basically has <laughs> been forever. John Bermuda Schwartz. Uh, has been the drummer <laughs> since like the mid '70s. The very first songs that they recorded together were well. I don't want to get into all of them just yet because we'll we'll probably be talking about them some. But one of them was uh, "My Bologna," <laughs> which was a parody of "My Sharona" by The Knack, and another one was <laughs> "Another One Rides the Bus," which was a parody of. Uh, another one bites the dust by Queen. So, and those I think literally were recorded in a bathroom stall, Paul. I think that they, think they actually, were. from what I remember, either recorded it in a bathroom at the university he went to, or it was at a radio station because he used to frequent the Doctor Demento show. I don't remember mm-hmm. which one it was, but it was like in a bathroom stall. And of course, they didn't have a drum set, so it's just like Al and his accordion, and John and his drum case with some drumsticks, and that was it. Uh, that's the entire <laughs> recording. He's also in the band with uh, with Steve J, who plays bass, and Jim West on guitars. These guys have all joined the band very early on, like I said, uh, mid to late '70s, and they still tour and record with him to this day. Um, that's, that's awesome. Pretty rare. I'm surprised sure. they don't get more credit because it's always his albums are always usually just credited to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that that John Bermuda Schwartz gets quite a bit of credit just because he's been playing with him forever. Mm-hmm. So, you guys, what is kind of your first foray with with the weird one? Uh, it was actually when your dad took us to a movie, <laughs> and we were driving. We were. Um, we were driving back and you were going to drop me off and your dad popped in a cassette tape of, I want to say it was probably somewhere around the lines of the TV album or whatever. What album had my, uh, I lost on Jeopardy. That was the first Weird Al song I, I ever heard was I lost album. on Jeopardy. Well, it was actually originally on Weird Al in 3D because the TV album yeah. and the food album were both compilation were compilations. Oh, Okay. Yeah, you had a cassette tape that we listened to in your dad's car when you guys were dropping me off after the movie, and that is the first time I ever heard Weird Al, and shortly thereafter, the first album, or I should say the first CD that I ever bought with my own money was Bad Hair Day. Yes, yes, we've definitely talked about that multiple times, and that is such a, that's the first one I ever heard, too, was Bad Hair Day, Um, and I think what made that really particularly powerful uh, in in my mind, was that those were parodying songs that were still on the radio at that time. Yep. Yes. And it was songs that were, you know, we were like, what, 10 years old probably when that album came out. So mm-hmm. it was songs yep. that like we were just starting to understand what pop music was and what the top 40 was. 1995, 1996, 1997, like that whole time period was some of the best music in terms of pop and hip hop and grunge mm-hmm. and post grunge and you know, the very early beginnings of pop punk and Weird Al, he did them all. Like oh, he, absolutely. Yeah. He was in every single style. I didn't mean to interrupt your story, Paul, if you still had more to go. No, I was just, uh, to, more to your point is he translates to, you know, just about every genre mm-hmm. and then he can take any song and make it a po- uh, polka, like along that, the same that, way. Like You are jumping ahead in the script, but I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, so he was known for doing parodies 
Um, one of his most famous parodies of all time, like just, just to give you an example, if you're not familiar with Weird Al, was Like a Surgeon, which is a, a parody of Like a Virgin by Madonna. And mm-hmm. it's all about being like a, you know, a med school dropout flunky. You know, I'm like a surgeon cutting for the very first time. It's it's really, really hysterical. But something he would also do, like Paul mentioned, is he would make these polka medleys of like maybe 10 or 15 songs that were really popular at the time that maybe he just didn't have an idea of how to make a full-blown parody of. And he would just play them as a polka. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> some, some really uh, notable examples of this. He did a whole song called Hot Rocks Polka on the UHF soundtrack, which is literally all Rolling Stones songs done as cover or as uh, polka covers. Yep. Uh, and then he did the Bohemian Polka, which is Bohemian Rhapsody done as a polka. <laughs> and then there's, you know, any song you can think of from Inagata DeVita to Basket Gangster's Case. Gangster's Paradise. Yeah. Well, that 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 one he did a actual parody of. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. But, so you're referring uh, to the polkas. Just the polkas. Sorry. Yeah, just the polkas. Black Hole Sun. Uh, yep. Down with the, the sickness. He uh, yeah he did uh, <laughs> he he did one called the alternative polka that was all like alt rock music from the nineties like oh yeah uh, like Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo yep, Fighters and yep and then there was one called the Angry White Boy Polka which was all as the title uh, says you know it was all of the you know, new metal bands and uh, rock bands and stuff like that from, like, the late 90s, early 2000s, like yep. uh, Papa Roach and uh, Eminem and... All, Marilyn all, Manson. Marilyn and, yeah. Manson, yep. Yep, very, very good stuff. So um, I'm going to quiz you guys on some of your Weird Al knowledge. Are you guys Ooh, ready? Yeah. Ready. So I'm going to provide the original song and original artist... And whoever can tell me what the Weird Al version was called will get a point, all right? All right. And I have, I think, an odd number of them. So we should be good in case there is a tiebreaker. So the first one is going to be, as Paul mentioned already, Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio. Oh, Amish Paradise. Dang it. That's right. All right. Bad Hair Day, 96. There you go. So one for Paul. Bad by Michael Jackson. Fat. It was Fat, um, yes. which is an amazing music video with the fat suit, but still has the, like the Michael Jackson like chained leather jacket. And he's still um, doing like all the dance moves and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. Lola by the Kinks. Oh, I don't know if I know that song. Ebola. I probably know the weird. I probably know the Weird Al version. <laughs> um. Well, how does how does Lola go? Because now I can only hear the Weird Al version. Um. Something about uh, meeting a girl down in Soho. Uh, it's it's Yoda, by the way. Yoda, oh, okay. Song. All right, so no one no one gets a point on that. Addicted to <laughs> Love by Robert Palmer. Addicted, Addicted to, spuds. to Spuds. I think Paul may have just beat you by ah! a hair, Adam. It was Addicted to Spuds, and I love that uh, you planned a trip to Idaho just to watch potatoes grow. My favorite <laughs> lyric in the whole song. Uh, Waterfalls by TLC. Phony calls. Phony calls. I think Adam got that one. <laughs> yeah. And that one was um, all about, you know, prank calling people. And there was a night where the rap was in the original song. They replaced it with a uh, a Simpsons, Simpsons. like kind yep. of uh, 
Bart it, calling Moe's Tavern looking for Mike Roch. Yep. yep. <laughs> Which is my favorite bit from The Simpsons to go passe. I don't understand why they've done away with that. I don't know. I know. I, well, Although pretty, prank calling isn't what it used to be because you can't do it anymore. That's because yeah. they'll just call you back. Yeah, everyone that's... has caller ID now. So, um, <laughs> All right. Pretty Fly for a White Guy by The Offspring. Pretty, pretty fly, fly for a Rabbi. For a rabbi. I think Paul got that one. Pretty Fly fly for a Rabbi. Um, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Ryer the Kaiser. Kaiser. I think Paul got that one too. Oh, come on. I demand a recount on that one. (laughs) (laughs) The Right Stuff by New Kids on the Block. The White White Stuff. Oh, that was definitely Paul. (laughs) What's in the middle? The The White white Stuff. stuff. Yeah, that was about Oreo cookies, by the way. Um, Just want to make sure everyone knows that. And then... Ryer the Kaiser instead of Eye of the Tiger. That's about uh, after Rocky's boxing career, he opens a, uh, a deli. Uh, <laughs> she Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. I do not know. Yep, drawn a blank. She Drives Like Crazy uh, off the UHF oh, uh, okay. soundtrack. So it's all about um, his girlfriend being a really, really terrible driver. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I got my mind set on you by George Harrison. Oh gosh, I know this one. I don't I, remember what yeah. it's called. Uh, uh, crap. This song is just six words long. That's right. <laughs> the song is just six words long. The song is just six words long. <laughs> That's the one. What album is that from? That is from uh, Even Worse, I believe. I'd have to look okay. it up, but I'm pretty sure it's the third song on there. If I had to guess. Um, (laughs) and then, uh, stop dragging my heart around by Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember that one. Yeah. That one is stop dragging my car around, which is about him getting his car towed. Uh, (laughs) nice. So we got Paul with one, two, three, four, five, and Adam with two so i'm sorry adam i'm gonna go back and re-listen to this uh this one after because i'm pretty (laughs) sure i beat him on several of those i demand a recount (laughs) it's 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 in the ear of the beholder i suppose so um so as we mentioned weird al did a bunch of these different parodies they were similar melody and instrumentation but different words uh, sometimes entirely some of his most common themes um, you know, like we mentioned, he made compilation albums about food and about TV. Um, so they did talk a lot about different TV shows and things like that. But the topics varied a ton. But they were always really mm-hmm. silly and really goofy. But he had a lot of original material, too. And a lot of times that would be in what he would call a style parody. So it wasn't necessarily a strict parody on a specific song, but perhaps it was a parody of uh, of style. So, for example, Buy Me a Condo was a like Bob Marley reggae song and yep. I'll sue ya sounded like Rage Against the Machine. It was That's all the about... one I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um yep. Germs was a song in the style of Nine Inch Nails and it was all about being a germaphobe and yep. it fits so perfectly because Trent Reznor always writes these really paranoid, creepy crawly kind of lyrics and to have it be associated with uh you know having dirt under your fingernails was <laughs> hilarious trigger happy was a song that sounded exactly like the beach boys with all the harmonies and little like chuck berry-esque guitar solos but it was all about having a million guns and shooting your cat and just being crazy (laughs) set to the tune of beach boys stuff and then probably the most famous of all the songs 
that were style parodies was Dare to be Stupid, which oh, was yeah. a Devo style parody. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know that that was on the Transformers soundtrack for the original animated movie? That's really? actually in my notes right here. Yeah, and I, I remember hearing that for the first time like as a teenager because i had watched the movie a million times as a little kid like rented it from blockbuster until the tape wore out but then i watched it again when i was like 15 or 16 i was like have i had way too much dr pepper at this hour or uh (laughs) or is that what i think it is (laughs) i had the same moment but it was only a couple of years ago because what had happened is the uh hanna-barbera had made uh gobots part of the uh their online streaming service. It was like the free show. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. my kids were watching tons and tons of GoBots and I was just sick of it. And I was trying to come up with something that was different, but still a transformer so that they would get off my back and I could not have to listen to the GoBots theme one more time. (laughs) And so I rented that movie and when it was playing and the song came on, I was like, holy crap, how did I never realize this? Because like you, I had watched that movie when I was a kid like a thousand times and I never put two and two together. And in the movie, it it makes no sense as to the scene that it's in. No, it's just like randomly not. there in a montage. Almost. <laughs> Do you guys have any other like Weird Al stories or any other like well, big memories? Because I feel like I could go on and on and on about like what a big impact he had in my life. One thing I just w- was gonna or I, I wanted to point out was like it's amazing to listen to how good his parodies and his songs have become. Like, if you listen to, like, his early stuff, like My Bologna and all that, like, it's good, it's funny, like, they got it down. But if you listen to, like, some of his more recent stuff, like, the album to me that, like, just really defines how good he's gotten at his craft is the album Straight Out of Linwood, where he parodies a whole bunch of songs, including Trapped in the Closet by R. Kelly. He does Trapped in the Drive-Thru, which is yeah. unbelievably brilliant. Yeah, it's like a 20-minute song, and he does like all of the different harmonies, and like yep. it's and it's unbelievable, like the tension that gets built. <laughs> yep. it's, it's literally all about like him and his like girlfriend or whatever at the drive-thru, and just the drama that happens when you're at the drive-thru. And, and like the person gets the order wrong and all that. The other one, though, that it really, for any musician, it would be mind-blowing. But for him, the way he does it in in this song is just unbelievable. And that's the song, it's called uh, My Pancreas, or Pancreas. And it's set to the style of, like, the Pet Sounds era Beach Boys. So it's that yeah. very, like, layered orchestration and layered vocals and stuff like that. And literally the song is just about how much he loves his pancreas, which is a total, like totally such a weird topic, but the way he does like there, there's a part at the end where he builds oh, a, flow, yeah, flow, he builds pancreas. like, I think it ends up being like a seven or eight part round in which he's got all these really intricate, harmonies and these uh, layered vocal lines going together and it's literally talking about all the things that your pancreas does like all yeah, the all enzymes the that enzymes, it enzymes yeah like yeah it, it's four and five syllable like protein strands he's just like spitting them out in in harmony with the other yeah uh, it's it's unbelievable yeah it, it, so like listening to that album always impresses me just because like you can tell he's really mastered 
his craft on that album. And he, and he certainly has great songs on all of his albums that really prove just how good he is at parodying. But for me, that album like really defined just how good he is at what he does because he's taking these really complex songs and turning them into equally complex parodies. Well, and that's what I was going to mention, too, is when he started off in the late 70s, early 80s, music was very different then than it mm-hmm. is now. So doing like, uh, you know, I Love Rocky Road, you know, yeah. parody of Joan Jett um, to now all of a sudden doing parodies of, you know, Cha Millionaire and stuff like that or Eminem where there's like really, really fast, intricate rap like mm-hmm. sections and he's able to actually have phrases in the exact same meter with the exact same emphasis in the exact same spots. It's unbelievable. But, you know, he'll be rapping about being at the hardware store or, uh, yep. you know, watching stuff on TV or, you know, it, it's, it's unbelievable uh, the amount of lyrical dexterity that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt it was appropriate as well to bring up that didn't you perform a weird al song when we were like i I maybe maybe fifth grade yeah yeah fourth or fifth fifth grade uh we we had a talent show and i performed amish paradise at uh, at the talent show that year or the lip sync or whatever it was yep if i remember correctly you had a black suit and a hat i did yeah yeah went to goodwill found a uh black suit that fit me found a top hat thing like kind of a um like kind of, it looked a little bit like a quarter barrel. Yeah, like a, a <laughs> like a black version of the Indiana Jones hat, essentially. Yep. A- yep. And uh, yeah, did did uh, Amish Paradise right in the uh, the cafeteria slash auditorium of our uh, elementary school. Yep. Yep. To this day, whenever Gangsters Paradise is played, I struggle to remember the original. Oh, absolutely! Lyrics, and I immediately go to Weird Al. Yeah, absolutely. I could. I still remember. I think the entire song of that. There's like some weird memories that I have about certain songs, like "Everything You Know Is Wrong." Yeah, uh, that whole song. If you gave me the time to like. Map it out beforehand. I'm pretty sure I know the whole thing still. Same um, here. That's such a uh, good song. Yep. <laughs> it, it's actually pretty funny. So my granddad, uh, we've talked about him a few times on the show. He grew up in Michigan. He was a, a high line electrician. So he'd go up in the cherry pickers and fix power lines and stuff like that. Did that for a lot of years. Retired down to Arizona. But he would still come back to Michigan pretty regularly to see us and then uh, visit other family that he had on the east side of the state closer to Detroit. And there was one time we were going around and he was showing us like all the places like where he grew up, where he met my grandma, all this different stuff. And the entire drive from Grand Rapids through this entire tour of his like life, we were listening to Bad Hair Day over and over and over and over and over and over and over again on cassette. And that cassette mysteriously went missing after that trip. So oh, I think he had great. heard enough of uh, Gump and uh, the Night Santa went I crazy. I forgot about Gump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a good one. That was also, uh, that one had Since You've Been Gone, which was like a doo-wop song that was really yeah, it was good. Yeah, like, like, a, like a barbershop quartet sort of sound. Yeah, um, but it was all about like, since you've been gone, it feels like I dropped a two-ton bowling ball on my toes yep. and shoved a red-hot <laughs> cactus up my nose. 
Yep, yep. That's kind of like that One More Minute song he had off Dare to be Stupid as well, where yep. uh, it's all like that 50s doo-wop style. There's a, a really inappropriate lyric in that song that I didn't get until many, many years later about how he's standing all alone at the gas station of love and he has to use the self-service pump. Uh, <laughs> I never understood that until many years later, like, whoa. <laughs> um, and really, another... that's probably about the most risque uh, Weird Al's ever gotten for for parroting a lot of songs that had some you know more risque lyrics or lyrical uh, content. He always kept it pretty clean. Yeah, yeah. He was a, a good master of the puns, too, because there's that oh, yeah. song, uh, I Remember Larry, where he's yeah. talking about yep. this guy that used to play all these pranks on him. And so finally he had enough and was going to pull a prank on him, where he basically just kidnapped the guy, tied him up, threw him <laughs> in a plastic bag in the middle of the woods. Um, <laughs> and they talk about tying his mouth and, uh, you know, the cops will never find him. Who knows what they say, but I'm sure if O'Leary were still with us today, he'd have to agree with me. It was a pretty good gag as in like a joke, but also like a, a gag with like the rag in his mouth. Uh, just so funny. So funny. Sick. I don't think I funny. ever got that until you just pointed that out. I mean, to be fair, it's also been probably about 15, 20 years since I've listened to that song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, those were really, uh, just, Terrific. I had one of those dual cassette uh, 10 disc changers uh, in, in my parents' basement growing up. Yeah, it's it's amazing Like because that was like state of the art. It had the removable speaker so you could like attach them like a boom box or you could pull them apart and have like surround sound. But I used to do what I would call Al CD and basically I would find the original version of a song and then record it and then record the parody immediately afterwards and I had like these 90 minute cassette tapes where I would listen to you know, smells like Teen Spirit followed by smells like Nirvana. Or uh, speaking you know. <laughs> of which, that's another one I was trying to remember. There was another one I wanted to bring up, and that was it. The music video for that is absolutely hysterical because <laughs> the whole the whole song is about uh, like the all the grunge bands and sounding like they have marbles in their mouth, uh, stuff like that. Like you can't understand what they're saying. But there is one point in that music video where literally every time I watch it, I have tears in my eyes. And that's where it's playing the the main riff to Smells Like Teen Spirit. But then there's like a spot where it breaks, like there's a quick pause and then it goes and do it again. In the music video, all of a sudden, like the guitar turns rubber and he, instead of bending the string like he normally would, he bends the entire neck of the guitar upwards. Oh my god, every time I see that, I get tears in my eyes from laughing so hard. When you said you got tears in your eyes, I thought you were going to say uh, that um, when Courtney shot Kurt. Oh, oh, too soon, too soon. <laughs> but no, there's a, there's so many uh, like great, great moments Um and and in that particular music video, I guess I guess what I wanted to say is that most people went along with these parodies, and legally, Weird Al never needed to reach out to any of these people to get their permission. It was just kind of a nice guy gesture, like, "Hey, I like your song. I want to have some fun with it. Are you okay with it?" Mm-hmm. Um, and ninety nine out of a hundred people were fine with it, you know. Um, but every once in a while, there'd be someone who had an issue with it, uh, and one of the most familiar ones is Coolio with Amish Paradise because apparently somehow he had gotten consent to do the song and then after the fact Coolio was not 
happy that he did the song and it was a I, I think it was like the label feud. that gave him the consent but coolio never did or something if i remember uh, that makes sense that makes sense and that would make sense and then for with james blunt the exact opposite happened where james blunt was like yeah you could totally do uh you're beautiful and call it you're pitiful which is one of my favorite weird al songs but then the label was like you can't record it though like you can't put it on an album like and he had already released it on myspace or whatever you know yeah the the lyrics uh, at the very beginning it's like my life is brilliant you know oh wait are we recording yeah oh, oh okay <laughs> my life is brilliant your life's a joke <laughs> something something you're always broke i don't remember how it goes but um well one thing that's uh worth noting with that too is a lot of uh musicians and artists especially once he got into like the 90s and 2000s and stuff when he approached them asking if he could parody one of their songs a lot of them considered that as like I made it. I made it oh, in yeah. music because now Weird Al wants to parody one of my songs. Yeah, I know like Avril Lavigne, for example, was quoted being like super excited about that. Um, and, <laughs> That's and actually Cobain, a great cover. Oh, I love that parody. song. I love that song. And um, Kurt Cobain was actually quoted, you know, he approached him like, hey, man, I really love your song. I would really love to do something with it. And he's like, it's not going to be about food, is it? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. It's actually going to be how no one can understand your lyrics. He's like, oh, all right then. <laughs> as long as it's not about food. <laughs> smells like lasagna. <laughs> Did you guys have any other uh, last stories or memories of, of the weird one? Yeah, the the biggest thing for Weird Al is I, I've always had a weird taste in music. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been quoted multiple times as saying in my van, it's ru- all rush all the time and <laughs> so on and so forth. Um, but I've always had a soft spot for Weird Al in a lot of newer songs. I've only known them as Weird Al parodies. It's kind of funny because my wife is the exact opposite. She is the top 100 every week and can recite everything that's big off the radio. Sure, sure. And it'll be like five years down the line. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that Weird Al song. Mm-hmm. And she'll just give me this like crazy eyed look. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. what? I, I It's the Weird Al song. <laughs> party and, at the CIA. You didn't know that was party yes. in the USA. <laughs> <laughs> um, the the polka where he did uh, Poker Face, the Lady Gaga oh, yeah. song. Oh. I, actually, I actually heard the polka before I heard the original, and I still prefer the polka. <laughs> That's another really great song I forgot all about was Perform This Way, where he's Lady Gaga, talk, just basically yeah. talking about how she wears crazy outfits and stuff. Um, and the whole video, it's like they found like basically a body double of Lady Gaga and then CGI'd his face over top of it. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> Very apropos I guess that's how, for his name. Yeah, yeah, that's, I guess, all in the name, all in the name. <laughs> yeah, I've actually, um, I've seen, it's got to be close to 200 bands easily live uh, over the last 15 years or so. And I have to say Weird Al Yankovic is by far and away, not even in an ironic way, like my absolute favorite artist to see live to the f- point I've actually seen him live four times. Um, he's just, he's spot on vocally live. His performance, he always gives 110%. And like he has costume changes literally for every single song. So he'll come out dressed as Kurt Cobain and then he'll disappear and they'll have like a a little fake interview or something like that. And then he'll come out dressed as Fred Flintstone. And it's, it's just terrific. Um, 
he's uh he's really truly like a national treasure um and this is quickly becoming our weird owl weekly podcast um yeah. so i am gonna i am gonna digress a little bit um so greg d from reedsburg wisconsin we hope that we did this topic justice for you um, if there's any particular Weird Al songs or albums you'd like us to cover, we would definitely be delighted to. We'd also love to talk about the Weird Al motion picture UHF uh, and all of his cameos in all the different Leslie Nielsen movies and all the other things he's or done. Or the Weird Al um, show. Oh, yes. Yeah. And Al TV before that. Um, yeah. So... All sorts of really uh, amazing stuff that this guy's done in his life. It's it's really the Weird really Al show is available for free currently on Shout Factory. Oh, nice! That's good to know. That's good to know. I uh, I'm definitely gonna have to put that on my list. So um, anyway, hope everyone enjoyed that topic as well as Dolly the Sheep and Bruce M F Campbell. Yeah. Uh, we've now come to that part <laughs> in the show, folks, where we're going to visit the hopper of imagination and find out what our topics will be for next week get to the hopper get down, get in the hopper sorry it hasn't gotten old for me yet <laughs> <laughs> we want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss you can submit those at our website at www.datingourselvespodcast.com all right guys so as before i'm going to draw four topics one at a time we can pass on one collectively i won't draw any more than four topics i'm going to count to three after doing each topic and you can call dibs on it and hopefully uh adam you get a little bit faster than you did during that weird al guessing game uh for your <laughs> sake don't uh, bring that up it's bringing <laughs> up some bad memories <laughs> all right you guys ready for this first topic yep ready all right so the first topic is going to be simon board game one two three eh, i'm gonna pass um i'll take it all right so i will take simon next topic is smash mouth musical artist one two three yeah sure i'll take him i'll take dibs on that all right, Paul, that just leaves you. You can take the next topic or you can pass and you're stuck with the fourth topic. I'm ready. All right, the next topic. Oh, man, I wish I would have waited. Uh, Thundercats TV series. One, oh. two, three. Dibs. That's a definite <laughs> Oh, dibs. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Thundercats. Go. Oh. Thundercats. Oh. I have thunder. Give me sight beyond sight. Uh, anyway, that's our show, folks. Hey, no. We're giving away too much for uh, for next time. So uh, thanks for joining us on Dating Ourselves. And if you like what you heard, there's more to come. Check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast to learn more about us and the show. And check out our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. You can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at AOL.com. We've, We've got, got mail. mail. Whoa, that was a stereo <laughs> In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. Uh, check out additional content from us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us there at datingourselvespodcast. And we do the Twitter thing, too, at datedpodcast. Also, folks, we have a quick announcement. We are going to be taking a break for the month of March. Please feel free to continue sending us submissions, providing us with five-star reviews, and check out our website. 
While we won't be posting any new episodes until April 5th, we will be sharing other content via datingourselvespodcast.com, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, and our private journals. We really Dear appreci- diary. <laughs> <laughs> we really appreciate all of your support and listenership, and we can't wait to start back up with you guys on April 5th. Isn't that the day that Lincoln was shot, or was that April 14th? 14th, I, I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, and remember, <laughs> <I'm that> bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, if you're too old for Snapchat and too young for Life Alert, you've just been dating. Later, guys. Hasta la vista. Baby, see ya.